morning, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for Sunday, January 16th, 2022. This morning, we're continuing our new teaching series, exploring Paul's letter to the Colossians, entitled Centered. And last week, as we looked at the greeting and the prayer that begin the letter, we really saw Paul's heart for this community. Paul was writing to encourage the Colossians in the midst of some false teaching that was circulating among them, a false teaching that appears to have been diminishing the significance and the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. And as we saw last time, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that in the midst of it all, that they would continue to remain centered on Christ. But his prayer is that they would have a deep and abiding understanding of everything that's been revealed through Jesus and a deep and abiding understanding of God's heart for reconciling all things to himself through his son. And that that would fundamentally inform the way that they walk together as a community. And Paul transitions from that prayer directly into an exploration of Christology. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, is one of the most well-known passages, not only from Colossians, but from all of Paul's writing. It's a poem that is commonly referred to as the Christ hymn. And through it, Paul seeks to reestablish and reaffirm what the Colossians believe about the person and the nature and the role of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Those words are so beautiful and majestic. And, and true to their poetic form, they say so much about Jesus in an incredibly short amount of space. But I've titled this week's message, All Jesus, All the Time. And it's playfully inspired by Paul's repetition of the word all in those verses. It actually appears seven times in the space of just those five verses. And of course, that's no accident. Right? Paul doesn't just keep using the word all because he didn't have access to a thesaurus or a rhyming dictionary. Repetition is a rhetorical device that's intentionally used for emphasis. Right? When things are repeated, we, we tend to notice them and remember them. Right? When, when you sit in the little boat at Disneyland, for example, for what feels like an hour, listening to the song, It's a Small World. You know, when you come out of that tunnel, 
you basically have no choice but to remember that it's a small world after all, because you've heard it over and over and over again. Right? And in the same way, uh, though much less obnoxiously, I think, Paul wants both the Colossians and us to hear and remember the, the allness of Jesus when we emerge from the tunnel of this passage. And he wants us to hear and remember that Jesus is supreme. And more specifically, that Jesus is supreme in creation and that Jesus is supreme in redemption. The first stanza of the poem proclaims that Jesus is supreme in creation. So last week, we noted the way that Paul was locating the Colossians into a broader and bigger narrative. Right? They're located not just in the city of Colossa, but also in Christ. And the gospel is bearing fruit and growing among them, just as it's bearing fruit and growing around the world. Right? And now, as Paul shifts to this poem, you know, we see him zooming out even further. He zooms out even further into the realm of the cosmos. Verse 15 proclaims that the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. The use of the word image there immediately evokes the creation narrative in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. But as Paul evokes the language of Genesis here, Notice how Jesus is distinct. Jesus is not in the image of God. He's the image. And he's also distinct because he's the firstborn over all creation. And so Paul is very intentionally putting Jesus here in an entirely different league, right? Lest anyone try to diminish him. But Jesus is literally the icon. He's the exact representation of God in human form. Like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And as the image of the invisible God, Jesus reveals, he, he shows us, he makes visible what God is like. John chapter 1, verse 18 puts it this way. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And so Jesus' supremacy is very much rooted in his divinity. He is supreme because he is God. And then look again with me at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, we definitely see the allness of Jesus uh, is really on display in those verses. And Paul's theology is really astonishing here. Jesus is not just the firstborn over all creation. He's the agent of all creation. All things, Paul proclaims, were created in him 
and through him and for him, including, but not limited to, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. And so Paul is emphatic here that there is absolutely nothing that comes before Jesus. Jesus is undeniably first. He is Lord and King over all. He is the firstborn over all creation, and he is the agent of creation. And so the first stanza of the Christ hymn resoundingly proclaims that Jesus is supreme in creation. The second stanza of the Christ hymn proclaims that in addition to being supreme in creation, Jesus is also supreme in redemption. Jesus is supreme in redemption. Listen again to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I want to draw our attention to the flow here as Paul sketches out God's redemptive work through Jesus in these verses. Well, Paul begins, very interestingly, with the church. Jesus, verse 18 begins, is the head of the body, the church. And we're going to come back to this because I think it's super interesting. But, but Paul starts with the church, and from there, he moves to the resurrection. He says in verse 18 that Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so, because of the resurrection, Jesus is also the firstborn from among the dead, which makes him both the firstborn over creation and the firstborn over the new creation, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so the resurrection punctuates once again that Jesus of Nazareth is the world's ultimate Lord and King. Well, Paul then moves from the resurrection to the incarnation in verse 19, which says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then from the incarnation, he moves in verse 20 to redemption through reconciliation, which is achieved through the cross. Verse 20 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, last week, we noted that those words in verse 20 for Paul represent God's will. Right? God's will is for all things to be reconciled to himself through Jesus. And there's that word again, all. Right? God's will is for all things to be reconciled to himself through Jesus. And that really captures something that's at the very heart of Paul's mission. You know, as we're going to see next week, Paul's mission, which, which flowed directly out of his personal calling by Jesus, was very much about the expansion of the people of God beyond Israel to include the Gentiles and all others in the cosmic redemption of Christ. That, for Paul, was the mystery of the gospel. 
Now, with all of that in mind, I want to go back now to the beginning of verse 18. Right? Paul started this stanza, remember, by proclaiming that Jesus is the head. He's the unifying Lord of the body, which is one of Paul's favorite terms to describe the church. And the fact that Paul chooses you know, to start this section about Jesus' supremacy and redemption by talking about the church indicates, I think, that the church has an important role in God's redemptive, reconciling work. Right? The fact that Paul chooses to start this section by talking about the church indicates, I think, that the church has an important role in God's redemptive, reconciling work. As theologian Colin Gutton explains, the church is elected as the particular means by which particular anticipations of the promised reconciliation of all things in Christ are achieved. And so the church, right, the body of Christ, has an important role in Jesus's reconciling work in the world. And it has to do with being the body of Christ. The church has an important role in Jesus' reconciling work in the world, and it has to do with being the body of Christ. You know, Paul's ministry was concerned not just with Gentiles being included into the people of God through faith. Paul wanted Jews and Gentiles to be together as the church. And the problems with false teaching that the Colossian Christians were facing, which we'll look at in more detail later in the series, right? and the problems that the other early churches were facing, largely revolved around Jewish Christians trying to assimilate the Gentiles into their faith practices. Paul had a vision of unity, though, that transcends that. And he had a vision of one body with many parts, reconciled and unified in Christ. And he puts it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ." And Paul, by the way, you know, is not saying there that the, the particularities of who God has made us to be, right? the particularities of our race and our ethnicity and our gender, you know, somehow should go away or that we should be blind to them or that they somehow don't matter because of Jesus' redemption. Right? Rather, it's about followers of Jesus being together right? with all of our diversity and all of our particularities, to so being together with all of those things in unity and solidarity as one interdependent body. And Paul's interested in that because there's tremendous power in that. Right? That's something that only Jesus can do. Now, tomorrow we celebrate a federal holiday honoring the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. King whose courageous and relentless leadership and advocacy for social justice was deeply rooted in the scriptures, had a term for all of this. He called it the beloved community. And the beloved community was the ultimate goal of his work. Dr. King said in his 1957 address entitled Facing the Challenge of the New Age, 
But the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding and goodwill that will transform deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. But for Dr. King, the beloved community was a reconciled community, a community that is completely inclusive, a community where the people on the margins are at the center, a community that is interdependent, a community where people see one another as brothers and sisters, all made in the divine image, and a community that, in embodying all of those things, is a powerful change agent in the world. You know, the church has been really turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic. And in the nearly two years now, since things have been anything but normal, it's caused a lot of people to question, uh, understandably, both the purpose of and in some sense the value of the church. But Paul gives us a very powerful picture here that very much reinforces the role and the value of the church. And it's a picture, incidentally, of ecclesiology that's informed by Christology. Right? It's a picture of the church being fundamentally informed by the person and the nature and the role of Jesus. Right? The body of Christ, for better, for worse, right? with all of its imperfections and inefficiencies and shortcomings, is nevertheless called to be one of the expressions of God's reconciling work in the world. The body of Christ is called to be one of the expressions of God's reconciling work in the world. And that's not something that just happens automatically. That takes a lot of hard work and intentionality, a commitment to investing in our relationships with one another an openness to see others, and perhaps more importantly, an openness to see ourselves, a willingness to be vulnerable and transparent, a willingness to be uncomfortable. But all of that, right, all of that is at the core, ultimately, of who we're supposed to be. And so as we seek to be a church that is centered on all Jesus all the time. May we embrace our role as an expression of his reconciling work in the world. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. 
so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of you, and being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. And Father, we thank you with joy this morning for qualifying us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light, because you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May we continue in our faith, Father, established and firm, and not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Amen. Amen.